Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Inside the junk hole. Uh, sometimes that is better. You eat chicken on Thanksgiving? It just tastes a damn good. Wolfman's got The opening credits were kind of cool, though, right? Here's Johnny. When the Wolfbane blooms, thou art the one. Slut! Star Child. You are not going to die from a shit. What the hell did we just watch? The All American Spook Show Podcast. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. I'm Josh and I'm joined here with my friends Donnie. Hey. And the Professor Smoke. Hello. Will couldn't be with us uh, this week, uh, but he is, I, 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 I did manage to record his thoughts about Hack-O-Lantern a couple weeks ago uh, when we did, uh, uh, well, last week we did our third anniversary show. Uh, but before that, we did Halloween Kills and then the Slash Roundtable. So it was before, it was all the way before that, episode 77, we did Hacker Lantern. And when we did Halloween Kills, we kind of forgot to get Will's thoughts on Hacker Lantern. So uh, I, I talked to him separately the other day. Like I said, he wasn't able to be here for the recording of this today. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, toss to that, where I had a conversation with him about his star ratings and his thoughts on Hacker Lantern. So here, here that is. All right, so Will, this is your chance to finally talk about Hackalander. For whatever reason, we didn't. Uh, uh, I, I guess we just forgot. I, I guess between the schedules being all flipped around and availability of uh, of you and some of the other guys throughout October, we just kind of forgot to get your thoughts on Hackalander when we did Halloween Kills. So uh, this is your moment to shine on Hackalander from 1988. So uh, just to refresh your memory, it was directed by Jag Mundra. And starred in uh, well, starring High Pike and Gregory Scott Cummins. So, uh, uh, what what are your thoughts? What, like, I guess what your thoughts are first, and then what's your star rating, and then we'll get into a, a kill count if you got one. What in God's name did I just watch? <laughs> Jesus! And why did I watch it six like, times in a row? <laughs> Man, that was a that was a that was an interesting movie. It was kind of hard to. to you know, necessarily figure out like what in God's name the purpose of that movie was. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, the, the fact that, uh, all right, 20 years passed from the opening scene to the, to the, uh, you know, the gut of the movie. And meanwhile, like with the exception of like the young children, everybody else stayed exactly the same. Like they, they didn't even like pretend to do makeup or, or anything to age the characters. <laughs> Uh, I thought the, that was hilarious. Especially the mom that comes to uh, that that comes to mind. Like, uh, yeah, like it's supposed to be twenty years later, give or take, and she looks pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> what what happened over the past twenty years? I got a new dress. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and a lot of angst. <laughs> well, you know, this was uh, right before Nirvana hit and everything, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little do we know that like, uh, Hack O' Lantern was a big influence on their earlier Nirvana. Huh. <laughs> the young, the young version of the of the lead character was actually Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Everybody knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fact check that. Just go with it. Yeah, yep. 
And that's why there's like a five-minute heavy metal video that just pops up out of nowhere in the middle of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I don't even know that, that that video was necessarily good visually effects-wise for the time. <laughs> like everybody quits no. playing, freezes, and then vanishes. No, it was not for the time. And this, <laughs> and, and this is another thing, interesting tidbit, you know, that, that, that has come up a time or two since, just because it just amazes me. This, the budget for this movie was apparently five and a half million dollars. So I don't know where the hell that money went to, but uh, it was not on the screen. We'll say that. $500,000 for uh, props and, and paying for everybody. Uh, the rest was cocaine budget. Yeah. And a small, like, uh, island in the Keys. <laughs> that island was made out of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so big, it became one of the keys. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, uh, we, we didn't come to any conclusions either when we talked about it as far as exactly what the hell was going on in this movie, what it was about. Our our ratings weren't very friendly on it either. It just as a, a, a reminder, you know, if you haven't listened to the episode or, or uh, just for you, Will, before you give your star rating, Donnie gave it one star. Smoke gave it one and a half. Smoke and, uh, and I did too. Smoke and I both gave it one and a half stars. So with that on the table, what do you say? Well, I say honestly, like as we've done more and more podcasts with Donnie and and uh, uh, you know we've gotten to uh, you know kind of get a pretty good idea of where our ratings would go. So, it seems like I've fallen in line with Donnie more often than not. Uh-huh. <laughs> So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a one. There, there there have absolutely been some of the movies that we've watched where it's like God, I, I wouldn't wish this on my my worst enemy of watching this. <laughs> this one at least you can make fun of from like opening cre- uh, like opening scene to final scene. Like the, the opening scene in this absolutely felt like um, like an old commercial. Yeah, I like, didn't even <laughs> feel like it fit to the movie. Like the way it was shot, you know, it, it almost felt like a uh, I don't know, like a uh, Got Milk uh, commercial right at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm gonna go with a one on this one. Like, it, this is this is one you can uh, kind of make fun of and just have a good time with. Uh, you know, if you're able to rope anybody in God's green earth into this movie with you, don't. <laughs> if you if you're wanting to watch a movie about a, a satanic cult and incest, this is the movie for you. Yeah. I, don't know, I was going to say the devil's reign, but I don't remember whether there was any incest going on there. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this was pretty, pretty uh, in your face with the incest. But it just came to mind too. That this is basically just a, a even a worse version of the devil's reign, if you really think about it. Like, yeah, the incest stuff aside. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is just like a god awful version of that in a lot of ways. Um, you, you almost want to say it's a, a devil's reign on a cheaper budget, but it probably was. No, no, not at all. But you know, obviously the that was what uh, when did the devil's reign come out? I think that was like the mid '70s. So this is give or take about ten years after that. Yeah, 1975. So this is only about 13 years later. Just bad, all around, just bad. So uh, did you have a kill count or anything? Or the number on this one is going to be eight. Uh, we've got the dad off the top, Bill. Um, who was, uh, bludgeoned to death with a hammer. Mm-hmm. One good hit. Look, at least that was, like, I feel, like, closer to, like, real life than a lot of movies are. <laughs> yeah, if you get hit, hit, like... hit in the head with a hammer, you're probably instantly going to die, more than likely. 
<laughs> and that's or all you're just going to go down and then just never wake up. Yeah. It might take a while, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either way, it's going to kill you. More often than uh, we got, uh, we got uh, Nora, who was uh, impaled in the face with the cultivator. Brian, who was uh, uh, impaled uh, with the shovel. Um, we've got the uh, the party girl who got stabbed in the back. Uh, you got the the girl that the song Beth was uh, um, based around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grandpa. Finally uh, bit it, and then Amanda Drendel, the mom who uh, passed away on the um, on the grave. The one that I left out was probably the saddest of all. Yeah, it was the decapitated goat head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the power is in the blood. <laughs> what? <God. laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what they were trying to do. You know, like like they had this big meeting of the, uh, uh, all right, tonight's the night, boy, and then <laughs> and then they go to the meeting. Like, what the hell were they trying to do there? Like, you know, it, it got dashed and uh, it never happened. But were they were going to turn him into Satan. I don't know what the hell. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it almost seemed like yeah, they they were trying to have Satan embody whoever you know that they were going to uh, have take over the cult. But like, if that was the way it was going to go, then why not? Uh, Hey, uh, hey, honey, I'm gonna uh, babysit the kids tonight. Let you and your your husband have a date night. All right, kids, we're gonna play a game. I'm gonna touch all of your foreheads. Yeah. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> Done. <laughs> yeah, it definitely definitely said odd. Uh, God, this this would have been such a, a fun movie if they would have been able to like pull it off, but they did not. Well, we'll leave it there. I think, you know, obviously, I think all your thoughts and uh, your star rating, everything echoes everything we said. So we'll leave Hack-O-Lantern there in the dustbin, and I'm sure it'll come back up. Since we didn't re-rate this one uh, on our third anniversary episode, we will re-rate that one next year because we're going to kind of shift the calendar or whatever. So uh, we'll see if anything changes come next year. But uh, we are about to talk about Hellraiser. Uh, and since you you're not you don't have enough time to discuss that one today, we will have your thoughts on that one on the uh, if not the next episode the one after that when we do the Thanksgiving special. So I guess we'll just leave it there. All right, sounds good, man. All right, so now that we've got all the Hackle Lantern stuff out of the way, we'll go ahead and talk about what we've came here to talk about today, and that is Hellraiser from 1987. Now this was the one that the movie that won the Patreon poll in October for what we'd be watching here in November and this is also kind of like the loose beginnings of us watching a new series you know like kind of like what we did with the uh, Conjuring series over the last you know year and a half or so however long we were it took us to watch all those films where we would kind of come in and out of it you know uh, watching the latest installment or whatever this is going to be our new series kind of off and on is like talking about the Hellraiser series so we start here today with Hellraiser and then eventually Sometime next year we'll do Hellraiser two and three and so on. But this will this will be the new beginnings of a of a new series for us. So I'm looking forward to uh, this along to see where the journey takes us along the way here. I have a feeling these movies, like you know, a lot of these series have varying degrees of uh, of good and bad and sucktitude, right? Make sure to stick with us and come along on the ride for <laughs> through the Hellraiser universe. Hey, and you know we do get a Hellraiser in space, so that'll be something to look forward to. <laughs> 
And and honestly, it kind of naturally will lead us into uh, the new Hellraiser because I believe that comes out next year, right? Where uh, where we were yeah. just, we were just talking about that uh, this past Wednesday on the uh, on the live stream about the uh, the new. I, I'm I'm completely blanking on the lady's name that's playing Pinhead, but they're going to switch it up. They're kind of do the old gender bend deal where it's going to be a a woman playing the uh, Pinhead part this time around. So. That that will going through this series will probably naturally lead us into that. You know, whenever that comes out next year, uh, we can get to that one. So that'll be cool. But before we get any deeper, I'll go ahead and toss the usual information. If you want to email us any comments, questions, whatever, you can do that at allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at aa spookshow. You can find us by searching for All American Spook Show on Instagram, Facebook, the Slasher app, uh, on TikTok. Uh, we're not as active over there, but we do have, I, I, you know, from time to time, I need to get better about it. But we do put stuff on TikTok, so that's there. Uh, of course, our YouTube page. You go there every Wednesday. We do a Deadline Horror News live stream. Uh, of course, if you can't be there, that's on uh, every Wednesday at 9 p.m. East. If you can't be there live, you know, YouTube archives that stuff. So you can still go there and pull up the stream, you know, even the next day or whatever, you know, if you if you can't attend live it's still there of course we've got patreon patreon.com slash aa spook show where every tuesday a new video minisode comes out the main event there is the library of the professor where smoke takes something from his library and he talks about it and gives ratings and whatnot you know it's always a fun time there so and we have our patreon poll every month so if you become a patron you can vote on that poll your vote officially counts uh if you become a patron and uh, uh, uh other various things you know bonuses for our, our uh patrons every month and uh you get early access to the episodes all kinds of cool stuff so go to patreon.com slash book show to check that out and of course on t public we have a page there or a, a shop there where you can go and get t-shirts uh, mugs you know pillow covers and face masks and all kinds of stuff with the logo on it all the various different logos that we've had over the last few years and uh, we have other cool designs on there uh you know like thou art the one slap Stuff like that. <laughs> a lot of a lot of cool, fun designs. We have like a VHS design over there. So uh, go over to uh, T Public and search for All American Spook Show, and you should be able to find us. And of course, down in the show notes, we have a link tree that has all the links of all these things, like right there at your fingertips. You click on that, it'll take you to another page. It's got all all of our lists or, or our uh, list, all of our links listed right there for you know for the picking. It's all right there in front of you. So. Uh, I guess without any further buildup for, uh, you know, and all the all the hoop, hoopla leading up to this, we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for Hellraiser from 1987. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker.
Alright, so there you go. There's the there's the trailer for Hellraiser. So, Donnie, I guess I'll toss to you first. Uh, I'm assuming this probably isn't the first time you've watched it, or is it? No, no. I've seen this uh, a couple of times. Uh, I think the first time was, um, God, probably early 90s. Yeah, <laughs> scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> I was scared shitless when I was I, I remember, like, my first time watching this back, probably around the same time. This would be, like, you know, early 90s, probably. Yeah. I remember it's it like scaring me like holy shit this is you know this is this is messed up you know like this is messed <laughs> up like I haven't seen before at that time but but you know it was just something more gross than I was used to for sure at the time and, and it, so we were probably roughly around the same age when we saw it and and that's not something I would recommend for like a 10 11 12 year old is <laughs> no. to see this uh hellraiser to, to dive into the, the weird world of Clive Barker that way. But uh, what were, Donnie, what were your initial thoughts on it? Like, you, you know, maybe back then, I guess, like you said, it scared the hell out of you. But what about now? Like, what are your, what are your. And now it's just like, you know, we've been, uh, we're just kind of desensitized because, I mean, I would say that I'm probably am because there's not, you know, you, I guess when you're a kid, you get into the, like everything, the visuals, the characters, and, you know, just everything. But I, no ounce of remorse at all as an adult. I was like, you, you fucked around and found out. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Back then you're like, man, that's, that's messed up. That, this is horrible. The horrible things that happened to you. Now you're just like, well, this is what happens when you fuck with a box. <laughs> right. Smoke, what, smoke, what about you? I, I know this is probably the uh, 152nd time you've watched it. You own it on Laserdisc, VHS, uh, all, all the, all the usuals. Uh, what, what what were your initial reactions back in the day and then now? Oh, well, when I saw this, I, I was already a jaded horror fan, I guess. <laughs> it was 87, I was already, thought, well, I probably didn't see it until 88, because I did not see it in the theater, unfortunately, mm-hmm. when it first came out. So I probably saw it in 88, I was 15 years old. By that time, I'd already seen stuff like Cannibal Ferox. Uh, well, it was called Make Them Die Slowly on VHS, that movie was at the time. A lot of Fulci films and stuff, so the gore factor... It, it didn't take me quite as by surprise as far as the level of gore in it, but it, just the way it was put together as far as the the production value behind it with the, that gore behind it was something you hadn't really seen at the time. And, of course, all the other stuff that's going on in the movie that we'll get into was definitely not something you saw in your mainstream horror movies at the time. And, yeah, I don't know how many times I've seen it over the years. There's been quite a few, but that initial one was, it did, like I said, the gore, it was a lot for a horror movie and a Hollywood horror movie at the time. As Donnie was saying, the visuals, all that stuff you take into account, the special effects, like the, again, we'll get into it, not to go too deep into it, but sort of the initial Frank transformation scene with the skin. Yeah, and yeah. Just all that stuff, just like, whoa, this is, just the special effects, the way everything went together was really well done, I thought. So that was my initial reaction to it. And then just watching it over the years, and we'll, I know we, we kind of talked about a little bit of this offline, the what the fuck moments of what is this movie about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first time you see this, you know, you're like, "What the?" <laughs> yeah, well, what? we'll definitely get into that conversation of what the hell. Um, that that and two and that that's what I was going to get to a minute ago. Like when I first watched this, like beyond what you see and the goriness of it, you know, and and uh, you know, like you said, it's it's far more gory and edgier than a lot of the stuff at the time, for sure. You know, as far as mainstream stuff, um, but the subject matter too. You know, like. 
it's hard to wrap your mind around not only what it's about, but what you know that it's about, like the sexual stuff and all that stuff. Even when I'm like 11, 12 years old or whatever watching this, you knew there was something off there. You know what I mean? Like, this ain't normal. Like, you know, uh, uh, what kind of sexual stuff is this? You know? (laughs) Well, that's sadomasochism, kids. Uh, You know, which (laughs) which we'll get into, but... Mainstream potato mask, because you don't even have to go to the back of the video store to get this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's front and center with this guy with pins all over his head. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and get into the you know the background information before we start talking about the movie. Now, before I do anything, I'm, I'm going to try here in our, our quote-unquote new year to get better about reminding you before we get deep into anything. We are a spoiler-filled podcast, so if for whatever reason you have not watched Hellraiser, pause this, go watch the movie, uh, we listed on our socials all the various places that it's available. Some of them are free. Uh, it's, yep. on, it's on Tubi TV. It's on Hoopla, which is like a, a free thing, basically, if you have a library card. It's on Shutter, and it was on Amazon Prime. So hopefully, if you're listening to this, you have access to one of those things. Pause this. Go there. Seek it out. Watch the movie, and then come back and you know spend the next uh, 45 minutes or so with us talking about it and uh, breaking it down. But... Just wanted to give you a fair warning now before we continue. We're going to spoil it. So, uh, background information. Now, another. Uh, I found two other titles. Well, I guess one working title, and then another one is basically just the complete title. It's also known as the working title was Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> now, that one's more straightforward to the point. Like, well, that's what this movie's about. <laughs> the other one is basically it's Hellraiser, but the complete title is Clive Barker's Hellraiser. So... You know, depending on, like, you know, where mm. you see this movie, you know, how they title it or whatever, it'll either just be straight up called Hellraiser or Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Either way, same thing. It was released May 13th, 1987 at the Cannes Film Market, which I'm assuming that means this is, like, where they went to kind of shop the movie around to a distributor, I guess. But it was released wide here in the U.S. September 18th, 1987 by New World Pictures, Cinemark Entertainment, B.V., and it was produced by Film Futures. And, of course, I believe it was distributed by New World Pictures as well. But um, best I can tell, the budget was around a million dollars for this. Like, I saw another number that was a little less, like 900 grand. But either way, you know, right, splitting hairs. About a million dollars to make this movie. So, that being said, we've talked about some other movies of the same time period that had far mm-hmm. less, or I'm sorry, far more, a bigger budget than this that don't look half as good as this. For instance, supposedly the estimated budget for Hacker Lantern, which came out a year later, 1988, was $5.5 million. <laughs> and they made this movie for a million. Now, you tell me which one holds up and which one looks better and just which one's just an all-around better movie. That's crazy, right? If that $5.5 million number is true, that is crazy. Must have spent most of that budget on cocaine or something. Isn't that what we determined? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was the only way you could understand it and enjoy it. But anyways, yeah, a million-dollar budget. And it was filmed, like, like late September through, like, the, the end of 1986 at the Production Village in Cricklewood, London, England, and then uh, other a few other various locations in London. The domestic box office for that weekend. So this is the weekend of September 18th through the 20th of 1987. That was the weekend that it opened. I'm going to run through the top 10 because sometimes, you know, in these older movies, we don't have this information. We have it on this one, so I'm going to run down it. Actually, I'm going to start uh, a little before the... T- I'm going to give you the top 12 because I just have to throw it in. Number 12, Robocop. 
was in its 10th week. Uh, number 11, Hamburger Hill. Number 10, Can't Buy Me Love. Uh, number 9, The Big Easy. Number 8, La Bamba. The story of Richie Valens. <laughs> number <laughs> this is how you said it. La Bamba. <laughs> number 7, No Way Out. you got to sing the title of La Bamba. <laughs> well, that is the title of the song, so... Uh, <laughs> la, 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 La Bamba. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, number 6, Dirty Dancing in its fifth week. I, I just uh, highlight that one a tad bit because that's rare that we're going down the top ten and there's a Vestron movie in there. So Dirty Dancing was number six uh, that weekend. Number five, Stakeout. Number four, uh, the top four all opened up this that particular weekend. So this is what Hellraiser, the new releases Hellraiser was against. Number four, The Principal. Number three, Hellraiser made $4.4 million in its opening week. Number two, the pickup artist, and number one coming in at seven point six million that weekend, Fatal Attraction. So uh, there was definitely some competition, you know, even yeah. even on that level. Like Fatal Attraction probably pulled a few eyeballs away from Hellraiser, I would imagine. You know, since there was a little bit of similar genre going on there, a little bit, right? <laughs> Not quite the same, but there's, you know, it's going to pull from somewhat of the same audience is my point. So a few other movies that opened up that weekend, Amazon Women on the Moon, <laughs> Maurice, In the Mood, and Orphans all opened that same weekend. So that's yeah, a snapshot look at the weekend of September 18th, 1987. It went on to have a worldwide gross of $14.5 million. So not great, but enough, obviously, to uh, justify you know, to keep making some of these movies, you know, years uh, later on down the road. On IMDb, it has 7 out of 10 stars, and that's out of 113,000 ratings on there, so pretty impressive. Uh, it has a Metascore or Metacritic of 57, which, you know, their scale goes basically from 0 to 100, so a little over, uh, you know, basically right at 57%. Rotten Tomatoes on the tomato meter, this is rare, because I, I don't know if I've ever, that I recall, Remember seeing this whenever we pull these Rotten Tomato scores. 72% on the tomato meter and 72% on the audience score. So dead even on both. Uh, and that tomato meter is out of 50 reviews. So it's not just like, you know, five or six guys reviewing it. And, you know, it's actually got 50 reviews on there. And the audience, uh, 72%, 50,000 ratings on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So no matter how you slice it, basically about the same score, other than Metas the you know Metacritic Metascore, about the same on IMDb as it is on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, of course, this movie was based on the 1986 novella The Hellbound Heart, uh, which was originally published in Night Visions 3. And uh, uh, also, I thought it was interesting to point out, Night Visions 3, it was like a collection of, like, you know, these novellas or short stories or whatever. So there's three or four other stories in the book in this uh, particular uh, Night Visions 3. But the whole collection was edited by the one and only George R.R. R. Martin, you know, from Game of Thrones fame. He actually uh, edited this collection that just so happened to pump out Hellraiser from Clive Barker, so that was pretty cool. Of course, it's this movie was directed and it was written by Clive Barker, like we said, directly from the Hellbound Heart. He went on to, where well, he directed, this was his directorial debut, by the way, Hellraiser, but he went on to direct Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions, and he was a writer on... Rawhead Rex and Candyman. Needless to say, there's a lot to be said about Clive Barker, which is why on our next episode, we're going to do a Spook Show Spotlight episode on Clive Barker. So that's why we're not going to spend 
a lot of yep. time talking about him today because we're literally going to devote an entire episode to him next week. So just know that we will be getting around to it. I know there's a lot to say about Clive Barker, and we will get there next week. Uh, the producer on this was Christopher Figg. He produced uh, Smoke, a movie that you brought up a number of times that you said we should have done in The Summer of the Wolf. He produced Dog Soldiers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he also, of course, was a producer on Hellraiser 2 and 3, and maybe even on the other ones, but that's just some of the highlights that I saw there when I was looking through his uh, his IMDb there. Music, which, you know, I think there's a really good soundtrack, you know, at mm-hmm. least one really good cut in this movie, and that was done by Christopher Young. He's got a pretty full resume himself, like 200 and something like uh, composer credits, I think it was, on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, he did the musical Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. He worked on Trick or Treat, you know, the one from 1986 that uh, we did back in episode Flimity Flav. I, <laughs> I can't remember what. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was 1986. I uh, believe that was just recently here. That was I say la- recently. That was, no, it was uh, episode was, number forty-two. Yeah, I was about to say. I know that it was last uh, October. Yeah, it was last October. Yeah, yeah, there it is, episode forty-two. So uh, there's a connection there, and of course, uh, he did the music in Tales from the Hood, which was <laughs> which was one that we teased that we were going to do, and then all of a sudden, like the uh, there was some riots or something that broke out. And we're like, you know what? Maybe yeah, now's now's not. Floyd. The, yeah, yeah, it was the George Floyd stuff last summer. So we kind of like decided, like you know, maybe not now is not the right time for three white dudes from the Carolinas to talk about Tales from the Hood. So we just kind of pulled back and we never got back to it. But we will get to that movie. That movie's awesome, no, no question about it. I think we all enjoyed it, but we need to get back to uh, talking about that one. It just the timing wasn't right on that. But yeah, like, like I said, Christopher Young though, like uh, I just I just quickly pulled it up on IMDb. Uh, just to be sure I had the number right. He has 130 composer credits on IMDb, so I was way off on the number, but still, that's a lot. He's all, And he's still working today, too. I mean, like, n- new stuff recently released, like the 50 States of Fright, which was that uh, Sam Raimi series that was on Quibi last year. Now it's on, like, the Roku channel. Uh, mm-hmm. The new the new Pet Cemetery. he worked on that. Uh, Sinister, Swordfish, Entrapment, The Grudge. Uh, tons of movies, Drag Me to Hell, so lots of uh, uh, things that we will talk, we will talk about here on the show, and uh, a lot of movies and stuff that you know fans of this are going to be fans of. So Christopher Young is a well-known uh, connection in the Spook Show from here on out. I can guarantee you that. Like he's already connected to a couple things, right? And he'll be connected even more before <laughs> before what's all said and done for sure. The cast, uh, we'll kind of go in credits order a little bit. So we've got Andrew Robinson played the role of Larry. Larry is the the dad in the film. He is known for this. He was in Dirty Harry, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Uh, he was in Child's Play 3. He's got uh, 110 acting credits. And uh, he actually directed a few episodes of Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And that series, uh, Judging Amy, back in uh, the early early to mid-2000s there. He directed a few few of those. But 110 acting credits that date back to the 1969. He was in an episode of NYPD. Uh, but his first movie role was Dirty Harry. He played the killer. And in that movie, he was actually, uh, his name was Andy Robinson instead of Andrew Robinson, you know, in the credits of that movie. Tons of stuff throughout the years. He was in an, he was in an episode of Bonanza back in the early 70s. Tons of shows in the 70s and 80s too, like Kung Fu, SWAT, Ryan's Hope. Uh, all that kind of stuff, chips. You know, some of the some of the ones that always kind of come up when we go run through somebody's 
uh, filmography when they worked in that time period, like Barnaby Jones, stuff like that. So he was mostly like a TV guy, but he kind of came in and out of films uh, throughout that time period as well. And then he definitely started making more movies around this time period because he was in Hellraiser and Shoot to Kill. Uh, like I said, Child's Play 3 in 1991, uh, Trancers 3, uh, The Puppet Masters, uh, st- you know, all kinds of stuff. And he's still active today. His most latest work was uh, an episode of the series Dota Dragon's Blood. Uh, it- it's a voice, so I'm assuming that means it's like an animated series or something. I'm not sure what that is. But, uh. Yeah, but he's still active today. So uh, that's Andrew Robinson. Next up, we've got Claire Higgins, who plays Julia. Now, he- she is his wife in the movie. She has 78 acting credits that uh, on IMDb date back to 1980. She was in the TV miniseries mini Pride and Prejudice, and she was in a number of series and, and TV films into the 80s. Uh, a lot of this is like British television stuff, you know, like uh, on the, B- the BBC Two Playhouse and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't, basically it wasn't until uh, she, uh, play, well, she played in the movie 1919, a couple years before Hellraiser, but then uh, a TV movie and then Hellraiser came out in 87. After that, I mean, she was in uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, uh, <laughs> a movie called The Fruit Machine. I, I don't know what that's about, but uh, <laughs> maybe we'll get to that on the next episode, The Fruit Machine. Uh, two yeah. gay teenagers go on the run after witnessing a murder. Well, there we go. It's right up Will's alleyway. <laughs> uh, nah, I'm, who knows? Uh, but he's known for, or I'm sorry, she is known for, like I said, Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2, The Libertine. Uh, she played Mrs. Gilmore in Ready Player One, you know, for back in 2018. Uh, she's still active today. I mean, she still plays in a lot of TV series. Uh, and I'm assuming a lot of this stuff is still like British stuff because a lot of this stuff I haven't heard of right away. Um, but she was born there in, uh, Bradford, West Yorkshire, England. So, uh, a lot of that stuff, you know, that she's done has been over there. So uh, definitely a recognizable face, you know, not just from this, but other things she's been yeah. in. You would recognize her face. Uh, Ashley Lawrence is Kirsty. Uh, she has 44 acting credits on IMDb uh, that date back to 1982. She was an episode of the series Capital. And then uh, nothing for about four years. And then she was in an episode of Highway to Heaven. Then she was in Hellraiser. So this was pretty much her her first big break for sure, and yeah. uh, she appears again in Hellraiser two, Hellbound Hellraiser two, of course, mm-hmm. uh, an episode of the series that uh, that anthology series Monsters. She was in Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth, uh, which once again we'll get to sooner than later. She was in an episode of the new the new uh, Creep Show, uh, yep. which I haven't caught up on that yet, so I haven't seen that episode yet. But she was in one, and uh, of course she actually did appear. In an episode of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Riggs, of course, as herself, uh, that was the uh, episode where they talked about Hellraiser 2. Um, so that was last season, not this past season that, uh, from 2021, but I think that was in 2020, last season. Um, so, yeah, uh, she, I mean, like I said, she's still active today. Uh, her latest thing was she's a voice in a short film called Smile, and then, of course, The Creep Show. So that, And... Uh, the hell she was in that she was a voice in that dota dragon's blood series so this must have some kind of connection to uh (laughs) to uh hellraiser for some reason or clive barker or something (laughs) um 
let's see, uh, Frank is played by Sean Chapman. Uh, he, once again, another uh, English actor. He was born in Greenwich, London, England. He has 66 acting credits that date back to 1978. He was in the film Boarding School. Uh, he, he was in uh, one of uh, Donnie's favorite movies, Scum, uh, in 1979. And then, of course, one of uh, Smoke's favorites, Party Party, uh, in 1983. That's right, twice as nice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a couple other movies, and then eventually he was in Hellraiser. He's also in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Um, I think that's that was the end of the road for him as far as the Hellraiser stuff was concerned. But yeah, uh, a, a lot of a lot of other things, a lot of uh, TV series. Once again, I think this is like British television because I don't really recognize a lot of the names of this stuff. But uh, most recent, his most recent thing was he was a voice. Or he was the narrator in a TV miniseries called Britain's Deadliest Lovers. <laughs> uh, an episode on Hugo Quintus. So uh, that was the last thing. And that was 2016, so I'm not sure exactly uh, why he hasn't done anything since then. But, uh, yeah, he, he has remained active, but he would most mostly be known for these, you know, the first two Hellraiser movies. He was in A Mighty Heart and The Fourth Protocol. So those are, the, like, the leads on IMDb. The guy that played Frank when he was... The mon- like, they they even listed as Frank the Monster. So this yeah. is like the version of him where he's like his skin is not there, right? It's just muscle and and goo. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> that was that was played by Oliver Smith. Um, he has fifty three acting credits on IMDb that date back to nineteen seventy three. He was in an episode of the TV series ITV Playhouse. Um, he was in an episode of Thriller that back in 1974, that television series. He was in the TV ser- miniseries Jesus of Nazareth back in 1977. Yeah, you know, from one extreme to the other. Yeah, big time. You're in Jesus of Nazareth, you play Saul, and then all of a sudden you're Frank the Monster in Hellraiser, uh, ten, literally ten years later. So, uh, Frank the sadomasochistic sex monster. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was in the Great Train Robbery and a, a number of uh, like British uh, series and stuff like that. Uh, once again, he's mostly known for the first two Hellraiser movies, Jesus of Nazareth, and then a movie called Warship. So uh, uh, I would say he's a recognizable face, but he plays a bloody muscle monster in this. <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, one one other one I, that I think is important to point out here is uh, the lead Cenobite. Which everyone, yep. of course, knows as Pinhead. Now, that mm-hmm. was played by Doug Bradley. Now, Smoke, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was the only one to play Pinhead until like that last Hellraiser movie, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I don't. I didn't do the number, the count on how many sequels there's been. There's got to be at least eight. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, I had seen there's, um, there, and I don't remember which one it is, but it's. Uh, uh, there's one of the, I want to say one of the other, uh, Hellraiser, uh, films from the two thousands where he is not pinhead. So I have the list of, uh, films right here. There's been 10 Hellraiser movies. Jesus. Some of these that... I've, I even forgot fucking existed. So <laughs> we got our work ahead of us here, boys. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll run down the list real quick. Hellraiser, of course, from, uh, 1987. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 from 1988, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth from 1992, 
Hellraiser Bloodline from 1996, Hellraiser Inferno 2000, Hellraiser Hellseeker 2002, Hellraiser Debtor <laughs> from 2005 and also in 2005, Hellraiser Hellworld. So there were two Hellraisers in 2005. Hellraiser Revelations came out in 2011, and Hellraiser Judgment came out in February of 2018. So that was the last one. And yep. then, of course, there's going to be a new one at some point in uh, 2022 that I believe is just going to be on Hulu, I think, yeah. we, uh, that we had talked about there. but I, I do see here in, uh, in his IMDb profile, I'm going to try to say this without laughing, but uh, before he did uh, Hellraiser Inferno, <laughs> He was in this. Uh, <laughs> he was in this TV series called. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Go, go <laughs> I can't even fucking say it. Go ahead and spit it out. Um, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> where, where, just tell me the year that you're looking at, so I can look at it. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got it. I got it. He played Honky Doctor in a TV in a TV series called Honky Sausages. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Oh God, uh, uh, you started listening off the uh, the sequels. I I saw that and I just fucking died, man. Well, look, he played Pinhead for like eight movies. You know, he he can break off okay. and do honky sausages if he wants to. Oh my God. So, uh, going back to that point that we made though, before all that, yeah. uh, he was in the first eight smoke because the ninth Hellraiser Revel Revelations was the first one where he was not in it. Uh, and, and then, then he, and then he was not yeah. in uh, the tenth film either. Uh, okay. Hellraiser Judgment. So whenever we get to those, so basically that means he has not played the role of Pinhead since two thousand five. Mm. Hellworld, Hellraiser, Hellworld was the last time he was Pinhead. If I'm he was, sorry, if man. he was in that at all, I'm not seeing that right away. But like that was, that was the last. I'm not sure if Pinhead's in that one. I'm sure he is. But the first one that did not have. Doug Bradley's pinhead was Hellraiser Revelation. So, however the timeline plays out, and I'm sure we'll get to it eventually without digging in right now. Um, yeah, so we got ten, we got nine more. Well, ten if you count the new one that's coming out next year. We've got ten more Hellraiser movies ahead of us. So, uh, thanks to our patrons over at Patreon <laughs> for uh, <laughs> giving us a lot of homework to do. Um, overall, though, this has not been a, a, a as far as the box office is concerned. This has not been what you would call a successful uh, franchise at all. This first one made $14.5 million. The second one made a little over $12 million. The third one made $12.5 million. And then the fourth one, Bloodline, made $16.6 million. So that was actually the biggest box office of any of them because all of the rest of them after that were like video releases and stuff. So like they don't even have any box office. I guess, you know, for whatever reason, it's become... Uh, Smoke, I guess we could go to you for that. Like, do you consider, like, Pinhead and the Hellraiser series kind of, like, on... Is it on the Mount Rushmore, or is it kind of on the side of Mount Rushmore? Like, you know, you got the four heads on Mount Rushmore. Is Pinhead over on the side, or is he on the Mount Rushmore? I, I, think, I, I would say he'd have to be almost... almost. If we're talking about four, let's say we're talking about four, right? Uh -huh. I mean, four horror icons, I think he would be on the side. He might be a little bit off to the side on that one, because you would have to pretty much put Jason, Michael, Leatherface, Freddy, if you're just doing four, that's pretty much your four right there. Yeah. And then if you're doing maybe opening it up to five, you might even get, even though Donnie won't like this answer. Don't fucking say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going 
I know where you're going. I, I know where you're going. It's Jesse James from Jesse James Meets Frankenstein's Daughter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course you're right. It's Chucky, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> much to Donnie's chagrin. <laughs> he would probably pick Pinhead over uh, Chucky any day. I would. Yeah. You know, I think that kind of, sometimes we do this in episodes. I think that'll kind of, I think that should be a Spook Show Spotlight episode. Let's let's all kind of give our own personal uh, Mount Rushmore one of these days of cool. like, uh, yeah. of horror icon, yeah. so to speak. I, I'm sure they'll be kind of similar, but I think there'll yeah. be some differences there that you, you'd kind of be surprised by. So that would be uh, kind of a cool little side experiment. But yeah, Doug Bradley, uh, getting back to him, uh he is he is really I mean he's been in a ton of other things. I mean like on IMDb he's got 70 acting credits uh that date back to 1973. He was in a couple short films uh in 1973 and 1978, but he he didn't uh his first feature film was Hellraiser in 1987. So uh his career took off, you know, as far as horror wise at that point because he was in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, then he was in Nightbreed in 1990. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, and, of course, all the other Hellraisers. But from that point, I mean, like, you know, he he was a made man as far as uh, uh, horror stuff is concerned. Uh, and then, of course, the you know, he worked his way up to honky sausages before, <laughs> before he went back. I'm sorry, dude. I just fucking lost it. I could not even fucking say the words. <laughs> before he dipped honky his toes sausages. Back. Jesus. <laughs> I think on our next Spook Show Spotlight, we're going to be talking about honky sausages. <laughs> I even clicked on it here just as a side note, and, like, it doesn't say anything about what the hell this is about. or It just says TV series. Like, there's no synopsis, no picture. I don't know what this was. So it must have been some random, like, uh, you know, uh, show in the U.K. or something that he just appeared on. It's on uh, Audible. What? <laughs> there's a... There's a honky sausages on Audible. It said maybe it's on Audible. Oh, okay. Well, we'll look. I'm, not, I'm actually gonna, gonna fucking look. Now, I thought you had already done, done the homework on that. Like what? <laughs> no, there there are no results for honky sausages. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, before we get to the I, before we I actually. Know. Into certain websites, you're probably going to get something other than that. Yeah, yeah. Don't. I wouldn't look up honky sausages. Uh, too late. Uh oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. It says. Uh. Uh. Yeah. TV program. Uh. From 1999. Uh. Well, hell, I knew like, that. I mean, it just it didn't give me any kind of synopsis. <laughs> like I didn't. Yeah, I clicked on overview and it doesn't give me shit. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, Doug Bradley right. played Pinhead. Who in the credits they list as lead Cenobite. They never say the word pinhead, so like I guess it just kind of took a life of its own after that. Um, but the other three Cenobites that you see in the film are uh, Chattering Cenobite, played by Nicholas Vince, Butterball Cenobite, played by Simon Bamford, and Female Cenobite, played by Grace Kirby. I guess that'll pretty much uh, wrap it up as far as the cast and stuff is concerned. Was there anything else you guys wanted to point out that I didn't... Uh, get to there uh before we um, uh, go into the movie itself the only thing that i you know as far as uh found was that uh they shot this in london uh but they i think the studio thought it would be better if uh it was set in america of course they already shot it but um i think they uh, they dubbed 
in like American accents for some of the lines. Yeah, they did that a lot back then. Like for whatever reason, they're like, you know, they filmed this in another country. And like it'd be better if it was in America, and then they just you know fudge it. I don't know why it has to be in America for something like this, but whatever. I guess that's just what was selling at the time, right? So they just it's just the way they would change movies. Because Smoke didn't a lot of the Italian movies used to do the same thing, right? Remember Demons was the same. Well, I guess that was kind of... No, they didn't do that, right? What am I thinking of? There's been yeah, some well, other Italian movies that basically did the same thing, but I don't think Demons was one of them. I take that back. Now, there was a few... Uh, well, there's various movies from certain directors, say like Lucio Fulci, you know, he, he had a few where his name was Lewis Fuller. <laughs> so they would angle his name to make it look like an American or English name. And like, uh, but some had totally different names. Like you had a, and it was it Antonio Margariti, and his name was like Anthony Dawson. I mean, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. and Bruno Mattei, I believe. I believe it was Bruno Mattei, whose name was Vincent Dawn. I mean, that was a cool name. Mm-hmm. I used to look for on on videotapes when I was one because I knew that was Bruno Mattei. But. So you had to kind of decipher some of these back then because yeah they didn't they I guess in the American the American market Americans back then just liked to see American movies or at least be tricked into seeing American movies. Yeah. <laughs> so the distributors didn't care as long as they got their money from it. They didn't care if somebody was watching you know Lucio Fulci's uh, New York Gladiator or whatever that was a, I forget the name of it. There was a, one of those post apocalyptic movies. Next Gladiator or something like that. <laughs> I will add. The- I will add two things before we uh, continue on here. That, uh, that one that I had pulled up earlier and forgot about, and then this other one I just found to talk about Clive Barker doing this. This is basically kind of the same reasoning why Stephen King finally did Maximum Overdrive, right? Like, well, nobody can do it as good as I can do it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give my, you know I'm gonna kind of <laughs> do my do my version of my shit, you know. So. <laughs> That's that's kind of basically was his motivation behind doing this. But I just saw, uh, and this was on the Wikipedia page, Clive Barker had to make some cuts on the film after MPA gave it an X rating. The following scenes were cut for an R rating. Uh, two and a half shots were excised from the first hammer murder, including a close-up of the hammer lodged in the victim's head. Uh, and you could totally see that, right? Like where they probably yeah. had to cut that all to pieces like to, to make it suitable. Uh, where she would drag the guys in to, just to kill them so Frank could uh, suck their blood or whatever the hell he was doing. In <laughs> um, the scene where Julia murders another man, the actor playing the victim felt that it made sense for him to do so naked. <laughs> the nude murder scene was shot, but ultimately replaced with a semi-clothed version. <laughs> so th- apparently this dude just wanted to be naked. Noticed. Uh, yeah. Uh, close-ups of Kirsty sticking her hand into Frank's stomach, exposing his guts. Um... You can, if you're paying attention there, you can kind of tell that there was a cut because you know she kind of like sticks her hand in his stomach, but then he just kind of like lurches over, like ah, you know, and like falls to the ground, but you don't really see anything, and that would have been a perfect time to see something, you know, gruesome there. And uh, a longer version of the scene where Frank is being torn into pieces by the Cenobites' hooks, final shot where his head explodes and his brain messily splashes out was also cut. That's another one. If you're real, especially that one at the end there, right, where like they come back for him. And, yeah, uh, I hate that. Uh, hate that. You can see that they cut it though. You know, it's just yeah. like he's about to get pulled apart, and then they just like close the door. Like you know, you don't see it. You know, really, all the way kind of happen. In an interview, uh, in 1987, Clive Barker mentioned some problems that censors had with more erotic scenes in the film. 
his quote was, well, we did have a slight problem with the eroticism. I shot a much hotter flashback sequence than they would allow us to cut in. Mine was more explicit and less violent. They wanted to substitute one kind of undertow for another. I had a much more explicit sexual encounter between Frank and Julia, but they said no. Let's take out the sodomy and put in the flick knife. <laughs> well, I guess that's a fair trade-off, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. needless to say, surprise, surprise, there was some more vile shit that got cut out of this movie. So, Anything else you guys wanted to add before we got into it? Let's see. I think there was something like um, the the chattering uh, Cenobite and um, was it the... Uh, blubbery one the butterball yeah butterball mm. i couldn't remember his uh yeah character name anyway uh they did have speaking parts but once they um <laughs> once they got the uh the makeup on they just couldn't talk it was like, <laughs> i could definitely see it with the uh the chattering cenobite <laughs> like you know like the, the way that's going like how the hell are you going to say anything you know i guess they could have dubbed it in right but yeah know. That, that would have sounded like shit, though. Yeah, it probably just made more sense all around, like, once they realized that, like, hey, let's just give all the lines to uh, to Pinhead here. Yeah, something else is that uh, uh, Doug Bradley, he uh, he couldn't see well uh, through his, uh, his you know, his black contacts. Mm-hmm. And he was always kind of, he was always kind of missing his spots. Like, uh, he, he couldn't see well. He was, he was afraid of tripping over, like, pinhead skirt mm-hmm. and um but no yeah he just <laughs> he had trouble hitting his spots and uh yeah that's well, it, it the makes, end it, <laughs> it makes it <laughs> <laughs> all right well next week on the spook show uh yeah it makes sense i mean like you know when, when you've got yeah. this much going on with the contacts and the prosthetics and the makeup and the the outfit and even more so with the other cinebites you know like yeah, it would make sense that it'd be hard to be mobile <laughs> or it'd be, it would be hard to see. Full, well, I've never had full eye contacts. Um, I've never, I've never. I, I mean, I wear con- like regular contact lenses, but I've never put yeah. in like the, uh, you know, these color changing like the shit yeah, they use in movie. I've never done that. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know what the visibility is on those, but I'm sure back then it was even worse than it would Jesus. be today. You know, yeah. whatever they were putting in their eyes with those glass contacts and stuff back then. Jesus. Um, Time for refreshment. Refreshment. For your enjoyment, there's hot, fresh popcorn, tempting, delicious hot dogs, and so many kinds of ice cream. And of course, sparkling, delicious, ice cold Coca Cola for everybody at the refreshment counter now. For you, the listeners of the All American Spook Show Horror Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Like we've been always, you know, we've been saying with this, uh, you sign up using audibletrial.com slash spookshow. They give you a free credit. You can take that credit and uh, get a free audiobook on Audible. Uh, if you decide you don't want to keep, you know, you don't want Audible, you don't want to pay for it, whatever your reasons, you can cancel it and you get to keep that free book. So it helps, it helps out the spook show and you get a free book out of it. So since we're on Clive Barker and Hellraiser here, I just typed in Clive Barker to see what would pop up. And of course... The first thing that pops up is The Hellbound Heart, a novel by Clive Barker, narrated by Jeffrey Kafer, and that is just a little over three hours long, so it's not long by audible standards, but still, it'd be uh, pretty cool to uh, hear the, the source material for Hellraiser. Uh, let's see, The Books of Blood, Volume 1 by Clive Barker, 
That one is almost seven hours long. Weave World by Clive Barker. That one is over 21 hours long. So that's more your normal sized uh, novel there. Uh, and that one, it says here, is only from Audible. So I, I guess that's apparently the only place you can get the uh, uh, the audiobook version of that or maybe the book itself, period. I'm not sure. But uh, either way, tons of, of Clive Barker's works on here. If it ain't everything Clive Barker's ever done, it's got to be pretty damn close. So uh, if, if that sounds awesome to you, and it should, you need to go to uh, audibletrial.com slash bookshow to download your free audiobook today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash bookshow for your free audiobook. So uh, uh, I guess we'll uh, go ahead and get into the movie here. Donnie, did you find anything else out on honky sausages while <laughs> we were did. during the break? Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to try to get through this without bursting out laughing. But uh, um, no, so Honky Sausages is uh, uh, basically a show. Um, it's a British show. Uh, completely lacks a premise at all. Uh, so that's why we couldn't find anything initially. Uh, but it, I did find a write-up on Vice, uh, Vice.com about it. Uh, it's on this um, article called Shitcoms. Um, so, yeah, this is basically what it's about. Um, it's about basically this uh, character, well, it's a character, it's uh, uh, called Honky Mom. <laughs> And uh, uh, she's basically the matriarch of a family, a whole family of degenerates uh, called uh, Honky Dad, Honky Granddad, <laughs> Honky Bitch. <laughs> Just dumb shit. Um, but no, uh, complete, like I said, completely lacks a premise. The, the plots are based on stuff like <laughs> bursting blisters on the penis of a guy who wanks too much. What? <laughs> I don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's just a, uh, from what this uh, article states, it's just a uh, deplorable, um, yeah, it doesn't, you know, just a offensive, utterly pointless piece of shit. And that's why, that's why it's in this, uh, it's in this uh, article called Shitcoms. So uh, over on our Patreon, we're going to do a full review of Honky Sausages, uh, and it's just going to be oh, Willie talking God. about it, not us. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a show in the in the UK. I don't, you know, no surprise there, I guess, with uh, Doug Bradley and the rest of this Hellraiser class or cast. Well, we'll get to it, I guess, eventually. I guess if we have to, uh, maybe mm. when we do a spotlight on Doug Bradley, we'll talk about it a little bit more. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that won't be the last time you hear the term Honky Sausages. I, I got a sneaking suspicion. Anyway, so uh, let's let's go ahead and get into the movie itself. So, like, the movie starts with uh, you, you come to find out that it, it, it's Frank at the beginning of the movie, and uh, he's in some like you know uh, I don't even know exactly like one thing I saw is like apparently he's he's supposed to be in Morocco or something, but who knows, right? Because it doesn't say where he's at, but he's in some like one of those open market type of things, and he's sitting at a table with like this Oriental guy who. Uh, has this, I guess, has this little uh, puzzle box for sale, mm. and Frank wants to buy it. So he gets it, and then he goes to, like, then it cuts to him, I guess, coming back to America or wherever the hell he's at. And uh, he solves the puzzle box, and then these these uh, chains with hooks on them, like, just appear out of nowhere, out of the walls, and just tear them apart. Um, and then, like, it cuts back later, like, the, the room is filled with, like, 
uh, I don't even know what, like these chains and everything, and there's these big blocks of wood hanging from the uh, ceiling, and they're spinning, and uh, you can just see parts of his body laying everywhere. Uh, then you see like somebody in like a, a, a black robe or whatever comes up and picks up the box, and then like returns the box to its original cube shape, and then that basically turns the room back to normal. Like it's all gone. There's no body parts and blood everywhere. It's just back to normal. Um, so what, uh, Smoke, what do you think of this opening scene? Like uh, this whole bit where him, you know, with the box and what happens to him and everything. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I kind of, I mean, it, it gives you a little bit, I guess, of, uh, the exoticness of the box, you know, how it travels. Uh, maybe not as much as what you get from the novella, but I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of like the open of it. You know what? It kind of reminds me of it a little bit is, uh, the Gremlins. Open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It is very reminiscent, like the yeah. old, the old yeah. Oriental guy that's just sitting there, like, "What is your pleasure, Mister?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think he even says that, right? Like something like that. It's basically like the same it's, lines. It's very almost. similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong there. It, it is very similar. Um, Donnie, what do you think of this open? No, man. Uh, it, it was it, it was kind of confusing at first. Um, you know, it's just like I'm like, all right, this looks like Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> No, it, it you know it kind of had the same like you mentioned the open open market feel but you know that's that's what I yeah, yeah it's just it was I mean it was fine yeah it just, you're not wrong it's a good comparison like it definitely feels like that like you know a scene that you would have seen like in uh, Temple of Doom or something like that right? yeah 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 a lot but, of uh, uh, frankly a lot of eighties movies had that kind of like <laughs> kind of like set up or a scene in it that were very similar in in a lot of ways you know like. Well, like, uh, Big Trouble in Little China was, you know, in some ways similar and, uh, and, and a handful of other movies that I'm blanking on. But it, it seemed to kind of be like this little bit of a trope sometimes that would pop up in some 80s movies of like this old, like mysterious oriental guy in a market somewhere, like selling, selling you things that he shouldn't be selling kind of Where? thing. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I, you know. Jurassic Park, did that open with the, I mean, it didn't necessarily open with it, but remember the, the whole Isla Nublar scene where he's <laughs> yeah with the hand cream you know the the eggs or whatever yeah there's some similarity there yeah for sure <laughs> and that was in the 90s so yeah yeah lived on after the 80s a little yeah bit, right? it carried over yeah <laughs> I, I mean I think it does a good job of setting up like you're in for some weird shit here you know like <laughs> you, you gather yeah. like within the first five minutes of the movie like oh here we go this this is some this is gonna be some whacked out shit um <laughs> So some t passage of time, like you don't know exactly how long it's been, but some time later, uh, Frank's brother Larry moves into the house. And uh, I guess he's trying to work out like his relationship with his uh, his current wife, Julia. You, you learn later on, like apparently he was married before and she died somehow. Like they don't really go in deep into that. I'm sure the book probably does more so. Um, but apparently like something happened to her and Larry married Julia and I, I guess Larry's teenage daughter, Kirsty, like, they don't get along. So, you know, she's not with them. Like, she's kind of, like, you know, lives on her own. Like, in, you know, she's got her, like, an apartment or some stuff across town. But uh, so they move into this house, you know, for whatever reason. Like, did they even establish, like, why they had to move into this house? Because it seems like 
Well, we got, we're going to move um, here, uh, but I don't remember no, the I think it was his mom's house. Yeah, it was but like, like his mom's house. It was in the family or whatever. Yeah, but usually the setup is like, well, he, I just lost my job, so we got to move back to the old homestead kind of thing. I don't remember them saying a reason. It was just like, well, what do you think? Let's move in. Okay. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like they do run... They do mention Brooklyn, like they were they were yeah, in Brooklyn yeah, or whatever. Lived, yeah, that they lived in New York or something, and then all of a sudden, like, well, yeah. we had to leave there and come move here for some reason. But I don't, I don't remember if they explained why. But for whatever reason, yeah. they know. move into this house where this thing happened to Frank, but they don't know that because um, apparently Frank had been squatting there when he did all this. Apparently, uh, they they have this whole thing where Julia had ha- Julia had had an affair with Frank, like right before she got married to Larry. Um, cause they have this whole flashback scene of like, you know, Frank coming in and <laughs> like in the middle of a storm or something. So he's like, uh, you got a towel or anything, you know, it just like, and then it just, one thing leads to another and she ends up having sex with Frank, like right before she gets married with Larry. So they're moving their stuff in and like, there's a couple of useless moving men with them. And, uh, Larry is helping them like carry the mattress upstairs. And then he just cut, like gashes his hand wide open, wide open on like a nail sticking out of the doorway and then the blood drips on that because they're he goes up he goes up into the attic where julia's hanging around like reminiscing about frank and uh his blood drips on the attic floor and apparently his blood just going into the floorboards somehow manages to resurrect frank like he comes back to life so what (laughs) well well maybe maybe the book would offer a little bit more of an explanation here i'm sure uh, it would blood that goes into the floor but there's another bodily fluid on the floor with the blood that goes okay yes (laughs) damn you clive barker (laughs) yeah yeah he was up there doing that you know like uh, the blood mixed with that maybe a whole bunch of little little sperms you know so for, <laughs> so for for however they set this up in the movie though the blood like goes under the floorboards or something and Frank comes back as like a skinless corpse who basically Julia comes in and finds him and like uh, basically like pretty much right away with little to no argument she agrees <laughs> to bring people in for him to like drain so it can fully restore his body so. Basically, like, you go into a couple scenes here where Julia, like, goes to a bar, brings a guy back. She comes in, like, cracks the dude upside the head with a hammer. And uh, she basically kills them or, you know, or, um, uh, you know, they're almost dead. And then Frank rolls in, like, sticks his hand into their body. Like, I guess he kind of, like, is he taking their blood, draining their life force? I don't even know exactly what the hell he's doing. But, like, it's like he just, he just he he sticks his fingers in their neck. (laughs) (laughs) And and then they just like suck some dry, like, you know, uh, killer clowns from outer space style. And, (laughs) and and then that regenerates his body a little bit by little bit. Although, you know, like you never really see it come to full fruition throughout the movie, but little by little, he becomes more and more like a normal person again. And then eventually Frank explains to Julia, like what he had been doing. Like basically like, I, I guess he's like kind of, the Cenobites come along and they drag you to hell, right? Like, or or is it like just some weird hellish nightmare escape? I don't know exactly where they take you. I don't know if it's full on hell or hell adjacent. I don't know. <laughs> but 
basically like uh i've exhausted all sensory experiences <laughs> and like uh learned carnal pleasures so there's like this whole weird sadomasochistic part of the whole thing like it's like he almost likes it right like i guess that's what he's going for is like he loves that aspect of it so i guess that's why he went and uh sought the box out and uh because it's going to open up a portal of pleasures, you know, that he can, <laughs> that he can dive into. And then like one thing leads to another and like, yeah, these things aren't here just for that. They're, they're here to like rip you apart and take your soul literally, which I guess that would come up with the hell part of it. Right. I, I don't know. Like, this is hard to explain. Uh, only Clive Barker truly understands what the fuck I think, you know, in, in my opinion. But when you do this puzzle box, which do they ever have a name of the box? I mean, like Pandora's box, Hell Cube, like just call it the box. Yeah, it's just a puzzle box, right? Like Smoke. Do you recall if they ever like put a name to that thing? It was called the the Lament configuration, and I don't remember. If, I, I'm trying to think right now if they actually name it that in this movie, mm-hmm. or if it's. I, I don't recall I hearing that. No, but. not in this one. I think maybe <laughs> later on in later installments they explain it a little better, and maybe that's where it comes from, or maybe from the book or something like that, right? Where you get a deeper understanding of what the fuck's going on here. It's got a, it, well, it does have a name in the book, but for whatever reason, they changed it from the Lamarchand or Lamarchand. I don't know if that's a name, but the Lamarchand configuration. And in the movie, it's the Lament configuration. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know why they changed the name of it. And I, like I said, I don't even remember if they called it the Lament configuration in this first one. I, I, I just know it. I know that that's the name of it. So I, I think I, when I think of the puzzle box, I think of that name. So, but they may not have actually mentioned it in this movie. I know for sure it does pop up, though. If not in this one, then the second one. But I don't know what the difference in the Marshawn configuration from the book and Lament configuration in, in the movie. Why? You know, other than the fact that it's a weird French name to pronounce, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, eventually, Julia brings another guy to the house, and uh, Kirsty, who's just coming over to like you know spend some time with Julia, sees her bringing the guy into the house. So she follows her up to the attic where uh, basically she busts in on Frank, like feeding on this guy. Uh, Frank attacks her, but Kirsty manages to throw the puzzle box out of the window, allowing her to escape. Um, she then grabs the box and then like, you know, goes away, but then collapses. And then she wakes up in a hospital. And then of course, the first thing you do when you've seen some fucked up stuff is, Oh, here's that box. I'm going to go ahead and solve it. And, uh, Open up the gates of hell, right? <laughs> she uh, she opens it, or, you know, solves the puzzle or whatever, and summons the Cenobites. And uh, this is where you get the engineer, right? That That's the, uh, that little weird, like, little gob monster. <laughs> it's like an upside-down monster or something that, like, runs at her. I think that's the engineer, right? I forget that they call, I mean, I don't really know if that's. I don't know if they ever named it. Like, you know, you just see, like, holy shit, what the hell is that? You know, it's just some little chewing gum monster with (laughs) fucking teeth and claws and stuff. But I believe, you know, at least from what I'm seeing here, I think that was the engineer um, that was, like, chasing after her. But she manages to narrowly, you know, narrowly escape from him. And uh, then you see Pinhead comes into the room anyways, you know, once she gets away from that ghoul. And uh, explains that basically, like, uh, we are both angels and demons. And uh, they are uh, explorers from another dimension seeking carnal experiences. 
and they can no longer differentiate from between pain and pleasure. I think this is also, was that where you get the line, we have such sights to show you? Was this around that time, I believe? Yeah, I believe it was that scene. Yeah, yeah, like the, the famous line, we have such sights to show you. But basically, they're going to take Christy, you know, all right, you're coming with us. She's like, no, wait a minute. Uh, Frank escaped you, and I know where he's at. So, like, basically, all right, well, you uh, you take us to him, and uh, we, we will consider, you know, letting you go. Um, but Frank, he has to confess to uh, escaping them. So, uh, you know, they, they go away, and, you know, so she's got to go get Frank. Uh, she goes back to the house, uh, where apparently during that time period, Larry has come home and, uh, Frank and Julia have killed Larry and Frank is wearing Larry. <laughs> he's wearing a Larry suit. <laughs> uh, he, st- he straight up stole his skin. And then, I'm sorry, that was totally so, <laughs> <laughs> so Julia shows Kirsty. Uh, well, uh, Frank's dead. Here's his corpse. Turns out that wasn't Frank. That was her dad, Larry. Uh, but she locked Kirsty in there. And then, of course, the Cenobites show up. And uh, they're not fooled by the fact, like, no, this isn't, this isn't uh, fucking Frank. Where's he at? So Christy runs, uh, but she's held by Julia and Frank. And then Frank reveals that he is, you know, who he is. Like, right, I'm not Larry. I'm, I'm Frank. Your dad's dead or whatever. And uh, he basically tries to, you know, come on to Kirsty, and she, of course, spurns him, and he then he decides to kill her. And this is going to complete his rejuvenation because, you know, I guess he's, like, basically one body away or whatever the hell. So mm-hmm. uh, he accidentally stabs Julia instead. Well, I wouldn't even say accidentally. I don't think he gave a shit, right? Like, <laughs> he just pretty much just stabs her right in the gut and then, like, drains her and doesn't give a shit, you know, just tosses her corpse to the side. And then uh, Frank chases Kirsty to the attic, and then when he's about to kill her, uh, the Cenobites appear, and basically because he has just confessed to killing Larry. They've heard enough. They grab a hold of Frank, because, you know, now they've heard the confession. They they grab a hold of him with chains, and then this is where they pull him apart. But, like, you don't see, like, you see the chains go in and everything, and he's, like, all strung up. <laughs> his face is all, like, stretched out, and then he, like, he's licking his lips, like, mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then they then they pull his ass apart, but you don't see it all the way. You just you see enough to know like what they just did, but you don't see it you know play all the way out. Now with uh, now that they've you know got Frank where they you know they got him back, right? Uh, they decide to turn and take Kirsty. So she goes and gets the puzzle box out of Julia's corpse's hands, and then she basically one by one manages to like by reversing the motion of the box. She's able to get all the Cenobites to, you know, they banish back to wherever the hell they came from, right? Then Kirsty's boyfriend shows up basically just in time to help her get out of the house, you know, as the house is, like, kind of collapsing. Then later, uh, Kirsty goes and throws a puzzle box into, uh, uh, like, a fucking tire fire or something. Like, it's like a hobo's fire, right? She throws it in. <laughs> Meanwhile, I failed to mention... This fucking hobo that pops up a couple of times in, throughout the movie. <laughs> like, she's working in, like, a, a pet shop. And then this dude walks in and just takes a handful of crickets and starts eating them. Like, <laughs> they make no explanation what the hell nope. is going on with this. And they never do. Uh, nope. But I only mention them because, like, all right, so she throws the puzzle box into the fire here at the end. And this hobo finally walks back up. And then he walks into the fire and grabs a hold of the box. And all of a sudden just... Bam, he's a fucking, like, winged 
skeleton creature on fire <laughs> and then he just <laughs> flies away <laughs> then you basically cut back to pretty much the setup at the beginning of the movie you're back in that you know uh, moroccan open air market or whatever and now that dude is still sitting there what's your pleasure mister you know and uh it's a different guy you know it's not frank it's another guy i guess yep. coming to get the box so there you go hellraiser from 1987 so I guess the first question is, what the hell was up with the hobo guy? What do you tough, think? What do you think, Tony? <laughs> the keeper. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't... Smoke, you got a better idea? Like, like <laughs> what the hell? I don't know about the if he was in the novel. Or not. Like you said, the novella, the, the novella, I know, I remember certain parts of, but I haven't read it since way back when either. So I don't know what his role is in the book. Uh, but yeah, just you know even what. Think. He's a minion from hell, I guess, or is a minion that has some connection to the box, to the Cenobites, but I don't know what. He just makes sure that the box gets back in the hands of the uh, the old Oriental guy <laughs> to sell it back to the next guy or whatever. <laughs> they did shoot in the house. Maybe it was the homeowner. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I got to be in here. You can All use right. my use the house, you know. Well, I don't are you, take are any money. Cool? I just I have to be a hobo. And are you I'll cool eat with crickets. eating? Are you cool with eating crickets and uh, turning into a winged serpent, skeleton yes. serpent? Yeah. All right. Well, you're in. You're in. Uh, the other part I, f- I failed to mention at there at the end where they pull Frank apart at the very end. <laughs> Last thing, like as he's licking his lips, he says, "Jesus wept," and then <laughs> and then they pull him apart. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, yeah that that was supposed to be. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it was supposed to be F you or, you know, fuck you. I guess there's, what, what's the point of, uh, you know, censoring, but, uh, <laughs> but no. Uh, and then, so, so the but, line was supposed to be fuck you. And he said, Jesus wept <laughs> instead. Yep. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, it's as, it's as fucked up as anything else in this movie, I guess. Why not end it that way? <laughs> All right. So I guess, uh, that's it for Hellraiser. So I guess Donnie, I'll toss to you first. What? What are your thoughts on what you're star rating? Oh man, this was uh, you know, I I'm always gonna give a uh, a higher rating to uh, to those uh, with you know practical effects. Uh, you know, we just I grew up like you know uh, just in that in that age. Um, man, it's just there's so many iconic uh, uh, you know scenes in this. Uh, in, in this in this movie, I'm I'm gonna go three and a quarter. I'm gonna go three and a quarter. We'll obviously get Will's thoughts uh, on this on the next episode. But Smoke, I'll toss to you. What are your, what's your star rating on it and thoughts? Uh, yeah, got echo Donnie as far as it being an iconic horror movie in the '80s, and uh, also one though that doesn't sit as well with everybody because I remember some of my friends who were couple of friends in particular who were also very much into horror movies back then hated Hellraiser movies for some reason. And you get a lot of times that you'll get, you'll come across people who just don't like it. And, and I mean, you can see, we talked about the kind of the movie not making a whole lot of sense as far as where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just the whole, maybe the whole state of masochistic angle or whatever, or the whole supernatural, like completely supernatural religious element. I don't know. That puts some people off that are, maybe just in the slasher type stuff or that or expect something different from an eighties horror movie or whatever. So, but I, I always liked it from the beginning and, uh, and I know it every time I watch it, it, it doesn't necessarily grow on me because I know everything that's already happened in the yeah. movie, but it doesn't, it doesn't diminish any, 
me every time I watch it. So it's it's rewatchable, even though yeah. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know. Yeah. <laughs> as far as what's really going on in the film, but other than the bare bones basics, the novel, like I said, the novella goes into a little bit more into it, but it doesn't give you, it doesn't going to fully explain everything either. So, and I think that also kind of adds to the charm of it that not everything is explained, and it. Back in the '80s, they didn't tend to leave the the viewer with a, you know, with that type of ambiguous ending. Usually, they tried to explain a lot of things or overexplain. Or you get a full story, unless we're talking about an Italian horror movie like Fury or whatever, <laughs> or is the Beyond. Or something. <laughs> Where there was a, talk- a loose thread of a story to begin with. Yeah, yeah. This actually, that kind of, this sort of has that European horror sensibility to it. I mean, it was made in Britain. So I mean, I guess it's all a European horror, but. It has a little bit of that to it, but mm. it's somewhat recognized too. Just the way it's put together is a very much feels like a Hollywood movie, even though it wasn't necessarily made in the Hollywood system in the eighties. So, but it has that same feel. Uh, I'm going to go with a. I'm going to go with three and a half on it. I definitely enjoy it. It's it's iconic. It's a classic. You can watch it over and over again. So yeah, I'll go with three and a half. Uh, I'm going to echo or echo. I'm going to echo your score, and I'm going to go three and a half myself, and, and a lot for the same reasons. This is one I've always enjoyed. It might it has a little bit of home field advantage for me. You know, it's a little bit of a sentimental favorite. I've always enjoyed this one. Um, even though, it, like like you know, like we've said, it, a lot of it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. I think most of it only makes sense to somebody like, you know, basically to Clive Barker and anyone that's like really into sadomasochism or something like that, I guess. You know, you, you might maybe understand a little bit more what the hell's going on here. Pinhead and the Cenobites or whatever are like horror icons, you know. Um, I think it's a cool concept the, the uh, as far as like their look and everything. And the special effects, you know, the practical effects in this film. You know, it, it's all done very well. Um, a lot better, and, and like we said at the beginning, a movie that supposedly had a million dollar budget was able to pull this off. I mean, very impressive, especially for since it was the first time that Clive Barker had ever directed anything at all. Uh, I'm sure he had experienced people around him. You know that. You know that's usually how it works. But not to take anything away from him. But I think that being said, it was a very well done movie. So three and a half for me. All right. So that naturally, uh, uh, Will's not here to do his kill count. So hopefully, we'll get that next episode. We'll get a definitive number. But we'll go ahead and toss to you, Donnie, for the connections. Connections. Every every laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. Uh, So we do, we have, uh, which you alluded to earlier, um, Christopher Young, uh, the composer uh, for Hellraiser. He also uh, uh, dates back to our previous episode, uh, uh, Trick or Treat. Uh, from 1986, as well as um, uh, The Conjuring, uh, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, he was composer there as well. So three episodes, uh, Hellraiser, uh, Conjuring, Devil Made Me Do It, and um, Trick or Treat for, for Young. Yep. I, f- I find it uh, hard to recall any music from Trick or Treat that wasn't like from that sound, you know, the, the what was it, Fastway Smoke that did the soundtrack for that. Uh, you don't, yeah, you don't really think about the other incidental yeah. soundtrack music. Yeah, 
Because the only thing that comes to mind when I think about it is all those cuts, you know, all that music from them. So, like, I'm sure there must have been other music. Now, I'm sure that's what he did. But uh, the Fastway stuff is the more memorable stuff from that film. But either way, there's always a composer usually, you know, even though it, there might be someone else that did, like, the main soundtrack or whatever. But All right, so Smoke Off calls to you. Gore, Gore Score. Yeah, that's a. Uh, this one is is a juicy one, and uh, like I said, I, I usually defer to Chaz Balin, the you know the namesake of the Gore Score, uh, for when I'm doing these. If he has done a movie, and he did do Hellraiser, he did give it a score, but uh, this is going to be one instance where I, I I'm going to change it from what he had on there because he gave he gave it a ten, and mm. that's pretty that's pretty high, and it's I mean it is gory. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of splatter in this movie, and like we talked about it. It's, for a Hollywood, for a movie made outside of Hollywood within the Hollywood system and released within the United States, like in the theaters, like any other Hollywood movie, it had more gore than most of the movies going in on at that time. And I think that's also has to do with the splatter movies or sorry, slasher movies had that crackdown going where parents and everybody were kind of up in arms about slasher movies where kids are cheering on Jason and Michael and Freddie and all this. And, and so they kind of cracked down on gore in those types of movies. And I think maybe because this was a supernatural horror movie, had that element, maybe that was the reason why they were able to get some more of the splatter into this movie than they were into splasher movies at the time. So it definitely was juicier than most movies coming out in the tail end of the 80s. So uh, I'm going to give it an 8 for the gore score. Uh, like I said, great practical effects, very bloody. I mean, you're dealing with Frank, who's in various stages of of his flesh coming back on them. So it's a lot of juicy skin suit scenes, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> Killing these people, you know, regenerating his body. So not to mention him, you know, flying apart at the end, even though, okay. Now, if we were able to see the uncut version of this, like if there were some uncut version laying around that they found or came across, I would assume if they had that, they would have already released an uncut version. But if they were in the future ever to find this footage, put it out there, maybe it would be a 10. I'm hoping that that, that that footage exists somewhere and that it comes together in an unrated, you know, edition at some point. So you would, as it, you would think it's, eight. you would think it's out there somewhere simply because like it, it apparently did exist in one form or another because it got an X rating and then they had to cut a bunch of stuff out to get it to the R, you know? So that yeah. means there has to be a working print or something somewhere out there that, unless they just yeah. like, well, that ain't going to work and then threw it in a trash can, but. Uh, you, you think they can get I their mean, hands on it. That happens. Sometimes they do. It gets cut out, and then the, the footage gets lost or tossed or whatever. For Well, that, why. that was the story that I think we've talked about before with Friday the 13th Part 2, right? Where, like, they had to cut some stuff out to, to get it put out at, uh, at whatever rating, you know, the R rating. And then eventually one of the guys that worked on the movie just happened to have kept, uh, uh, like, basically a VHS of the original it, cut and then they got a hold of it and remastered it or whatever and you know recut it for that that blu-ray release a couple of years ago but yeah so I mean, essentially we'd be waiting on something like that probably like hopefully someone that was involved in the production of it just decided to keep a copy of it and maybe they can get their hands on it one day that's actually been more than more than that movie too is that or because i can remember my bloody valentine i believe had the same issue where it was a lot gorier, and that that footage got 
lost for a while. And he, again, a VHS tape surface and they were able to piece together, <laughs> you know, it's very visible when you piece together, when you remaster a movie yeah. from an original five millimeter print, and then you try and throw some VHS in there. It's going to be noticeable, but yeah. at least it does exist. So yeah, exactly. Hopefully footage exists somewhere, even if it's on a VHS tape. <laughs> Well, we can we can hope for that one ba- one day, but until then, next episode, we're going to be talking about the Spook Show Spotlight on Clive Barker. So we have more sites to show you next week on, <laughs> on uh, nice. about Clive Barker. Uh, we'll take a deep dive into his career since we didn't really go too deep in this episode. So we'll, we'll take advantage of that on the next one. So look forward to that. And then two weeks from then, we'll be episode 83 and that will be we haven't decided which thanksgiving movie we're going to watch yet but that will be our thanksgiving special so uh we'll let you know next week what movie we're going to be watching for episode 83 which that comes out november 22nd so that's literally the monday before thanksgiving so once we make a decision there i'm sure we'll put it out on the socials and we'll mention it next week on the spook show spotlight of uh clive barker you know what's coming up so you can uh go ahead and watch it and be ready for that so uh i guess that'll pretty much wrap it up here for hellraiser and uh come back next week for our deep dive into clive barker so for will of course who couldn't be with us except for that little pre-recorded segment at the beginning uh and for donnie and the professor smoke i'm josh we are the all-american spook show horror podcast and we will talk to you next week And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.